Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Well, hey, welcome back to Church Online. We are in our series called Stopping the Scroll. And we've been looking at this idea, and it all started with this idea that we have these aimless distractions, these aimless escapes like social media or endless news cycles or video games or just different things that distract us and draw our attention away from things that really matter most. And even though some of these things aren't inherently bad, they they pull us away from discovering this promised peace and this promised rest that we hear about from Jesus. And it it causes us to ask the question, if, if Jesus says to us, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest, why is it so difficult to find rest? If our Heavenly Father says, hey, be still and know that I am God, why is it so difficult for us to find the peace that he promises and we we feel like we're running constantly, we're closer to burnout than we are to peace. Why do these things happen in our lives? And so that's what we've been talking about, and looking at these different ways we can reconnect and recognize how we're wired and understand how we can stop the scroll of our lives and the chaos of our lives and be able to whew, slow down enough to hear God speak to us and allow him to start to shift some things in our lives. And so today we're going to be talking about voices and influences. Voices and influences. And it brings me back to a a memorable walk that I had this past Thanksgiving. And as I jump into it, I want to just see if I have anyone else who can relate to me. How many of you have kids that just absolutely do not require sleep? Like right where you are, let us know in the comments. Like Raise your hand in your living room. Just let me know that I'm not alone in this. Apparently, I was that kind of child. Like, I did not require sleep. So my mom prayed that when I had kids, I would experience the same joy that she did dealing with me as a baby. And I don't don't know what happened, but apparently she had a direct line to Jesus because he blessed us with a double portion. Two children who do not require sleep, and they work on different sleep patterns. So, yes, Lord. So anyways, Thanksgiving morning, actually woke up early, woke up around six, and, and I just said, you know what, I want to I go for a morning hike. I want to I go hike this little hill that's in the back of our neighborhood. It's, it's a nice little, nice, nice little trek up, nothing too crazy, but I just want to go and stand up there and begin my day of gratitude, just overlooking East County with love and admiration and just thankfulness of what God is doing in our lives, and ah, I see it in my head. It's going to be a beautiful moment, a beautiful way. I got downstairs in Brooklyn, as always, is is up before anybody else, and she was downstairs already, and gave her a kiss, and she said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go for a hike. And any other time when I go to the gym or anywhere else, she goes, okay, be careful. (laughs) Thanks, mom. Like, you got it. 
But this time she goes, oh, uh, well, can I go with you? And I'm like, I, I was, I, I'm going to kind of like climb this really high. Oh, yeah, I can do that. I'm, I want to do it. And I'm like, fine, okay. Get dressed really quickly. We're going to move. I'm trying to not wake up anybody. Do not wake up Audrey. Do not. Got it. So she did incredible. She got dressed. She, she did everything right. We were ready to head, and she had forgotten her socks. So I said, I'll go get them. I'll sneak back in the room. You just stay here. I go in the room. I go through the drawer. I grab her socks. I close it quietly. I mean, silent. But you ever know that feeling when you, it just feels like somebody's looking at you? And I turn slowly, and I see these beady little eyes looking at me. Mm, good morning, Daddy. What are you doing? Why are you sound so creepy, Audrey? What's wrong with you? And I said, I'm going for a walk. Go back to sleep. And I don't know how she just felt it in her bones that something was going on downstairs that she didn't know about. She goes, oh, no, I'm coming with you. And I'm like, come on. I just want to have this peaceful moment. So we, we go on it. We, we start. It's cold. It's windy. I mean, it's blowing like 25, 30 mile an hour winds out on the, just the bottom of it, not even towards the top of the hill. And it's just craziness happening. It's way more than I bargained for at 6.45 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning at this point. And so me and B are walking the path, and, and Audrey is just the free spirit that she is. And she's, she's running this way, and she's running that way. She's getting caught in thorn bushes over here. She's tripping over rocks over here. She's almost sliding down the hill back to the path below. It's just... Audrey, just stay on the path. Like, just stay focused. Stop doing it. And we got to the part where it, it kind of like winds up back and forth to make the, the climb a little bit easier for you. And she wanted to take a shortcut and, and cut off the little loop that comes back this way and just climb it up. And she, she gets almost to the top of it and comes sliding back down to the bottom. She's like, whew, that was hard work. Can you carry me up there? I'm like, just stay on the path. It's not this complicated. And so by the time we get halfway up the hill, they're both exhausted. The wind is about to knock them over. We're just trucking along. I'm seeing these hikers go past me, and they're just laughing at me like, what an idiot. What are you trying to do at 6.45 in the morning? And these girls are doing their best. And we get, get about halfway up the hill. And I said, hey, this, this is as far as we're going to be able to make it this morning. And they're like, Whew, okay, that's great. And we, we took a cute picture. We had a great memory. You can see them here. It, it just was a, it was a sweet moment with my girls, but it wasn't what I pictured in my head when I got up that morning and what I had signed up for. But the point in all of this is this is actually exactly how our brains function. Some of you right now, you, you're trying to blaze a new trail like Audrey. You're trying to think new thoughts. You're trying to establish new habits, new mindsets, it, it, grab a hold of some new perspectives, things we've been talking about over the last couple of months. You're, you're working on it, but it's exhausting. And it feels like you're drawn back. You fall back down the hill, back to the path that you always fall back, the, the clear-cut, well-worn road that you've always done. And it just feels like Starting this new thing is more complicated than you ever imagined it would be. And the reason is, it's actually how your mind is wired. 
Look at this truth. This is so important for us to understand. Your thoughts are fueled by efficiency, not effort. Your minds are wired to fuel themselves on efficiency. The, the way that you were created it is actually built, your mind is hungry for efficiency. So when you create a new habit, when you start a new mindset, when you're trying to grab a hold of a, of a new belief, your brain, your, the, the neurons in your brain are actually trying to begin a brand new neural pathway. It's literally cutting through previously unused territory in your brain, trying to create a new pathway. And your brain, it's, it functions off of efficiency. So there's almost this like gravitational pull to go back to the neural pathway that you always use, that's well-worn, that's easy for it to get through. And it's why it's so difficult to create a new habit to establish a new thought process, to, to do something brand new in your life. You're creating new pathways. You see, we don't naturally drift towards health. We drift towards comfort. Understand that. You don't naturally drift. You drift towards comfort. Your brain is excited by efficiency. Your brain is excited to go back down the easiest, easiest path in and, and the fastest and the quickest way. So when you're beginning to do something new, you're like an explorer cutting through the jungle with a machete trying to start a brand new road through your mind. And it, it's this important thing. It's, it's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. Paul doesn't say, hey, let God tweak your thoughts a little bit. Let him just dial down a little bit here and dial up things here. He, he doesn't say, let me shift them or, or nudge them a little bit. Paul says, allow God to transform the way you think, to transform it. Our, our thoughts are are so naturally drawn to the wrong direction that it requires God to transform and recreate the way that we think. In the original language, the word that he uses for transform is metamorpho. And this sounds familiar because it's where we get the word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, where, where a caterpillar goes into a cocoon and all of a sudden metamorphosis happens in it turns into a completely different creature, a butterfly. It's a transformation that happens. It's not a tweaking. It's a transformation. That's why it's, it's such an important thing for us to grab a hold of when we're trying to change something new. I've, I've, heard, it, I've heard it this way, and it's, it's so important, and, and I've heard several pastors say it, and it's rung so true in my life as well. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your life is moving it down the easiest pathway. Your life is moving towards that, that thought process that has the strongest pull. The neural pathway that's clearest, that is what is driving your life. 
And so when you're trying to figure out, why do I keep doing the same things? Why do I keep struggling, understanding these voices, understanding these, these thought processes that keep coming back? It's why we saw last week in Proverbs chapter 421, where, where the author says, what fills your thoughts feeds and changes and shapes your soul. Our thoughts. So we, it helps us to, to recognize the voices that are impacting our lives. And, and it helps us discover how do we do these new things? How do we recognize the voices, the influences, the thought processes that keep pulling us back away from what we know God has called us to do? To help us do that, I, I want you to see an interesting series of events in Jesus's life. It was at the very beginning of his ministry. Actually, the first part happened before he ever did a miracle, before he did anything at all. And it's this, this time, it was coming through a season of, of life and learning and growing. And it was a period of time that came after his highly recognized birth with angels and gifts and visitors and all of these things. There's these years of silence in Jesus' life where he grows up and he experiences adolescence and he experiences being a teenager and he gets to this point in time in his life where outside of a scare of his parents leaving him in the temple and him being like, I don't know what your problem is, I'm, I'm about God's work. We don't really know what all is happening there, but he's being shaped by God and shaped by his parents and experiencing all these things. And he's, he's at the beginning of the time knowing that God says, hey, your ministry is about to begin. And to symbolize the beginning of his ministry, Jesus needed to be baptized. And so he goes to, to John, his cousin, and, and John pushes back and is like, no, I'm not worthy. You're the son of God. I'm not going to baptize you. And he's like, hey, hush it. I need to obey God. I need to obey the Father. We're going to be baptized. But I want you to see what happens here because this is so important for you and I. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Those words, that, that phrase has reshaped my connection with God for the past decade. It's so significant. It's so powerful and it will shift the way that you view yourself if you understand that this is the way God sees you. God says, this is my son. It's, it's almost this, this symbolism of adoption. You belong to me. This, this adoption, a place to belong, a name to carry, a, a family to do life with. You have a place to belong. Whom I love, representative of God's affection his love, his encouragement, his hope, his belief, his passion for you. And he continues, and I'm, I'm pleased with him. It's God giving Jesus his affirmation. And the same thing is offered to us, his affirmation that says, hey, this is given, it's not earned. You, through Jesus' sacrifice, you've been forgiven, you have grace, you have mercy, you have love, you have affection, you have adoption, you have the affirmation because you are my child. This was so important 
And I want you to recognize that these weren't based on what he produced or what he achieved. It was more about who he surrendered to. It wasn't about his giftings. It wasn't about his accomplishments, his accolades, his fame. It was based on the posture of his heart. And what you need to understand right where you're sitting right now is that this God that we talk about, this God that we serve, doesn't need to be coerced, doesn't need to be convinced to love you. He's already offered you his adoption, his affection, and his affirmation. He has poured out these things to you so that you don't have to go searching for them in other places. He says, you belong to me. You are my child. I am affectionate about you. I'm passionate about you. I deeply love you. And I affirm you. There's nothing that you're going to do that makes me not want to love you. You are cared for. And this is what is offered us. But there's, there's a foundation that we can't miss in all of this. Because we've talked about this before. This idea of adoption and affection and affirmation. But there's something that I need you to see as the story continues on. That is so significant, so foundational for your life. That it would change the way you view the situations that you're walking through. I need you to understand the context of when this happens. Because what I see in these pages, what I see in these scriptures is this. The promise always precedes the pressure. The promise, the promise from God of this adoption, of this affection, of this affirmation, of his love, of his mercy, of his grace, of his faithfulness, of his goodness. The promises precede the pressure. And you need to understand that in your life, God's promises were established well before the pain showed up. His promises were established before the heartbreak hit, before the confusion came in, before the season took a turn you didn't expect, before the enemy started to take root with his lies in your heart, before the insecurity had a place to sit. God's promises hung over your life and they were confirmed again when Jesus hung on the cross for you. The promises always precede the pressure. Why is that so important? Because so many times we feel like the pressures of our lives, the situations that we're walking through, it's what's preventing the promise from coming. And God says, no, 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 no. The promise has been there before this pressure ever showed up. The promise for you has been there from the beginning of time. And this is significant because immediately following his baptism, Matthew chapter 4 says afterward. Afterward what? After his baptism, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to experience the ordeal of testing by the accuser. And after fasting for 40 days, Jesus was extremely hungry. And then the tempter came to him and he said, how can you possibly be the son of God and go hungry? Just command these stones to be turned into loaves of bread. Jesus answered, the scriptures say, bread alone will not satisfy, but true life is found in every word that constantly goes forth from God's mouth. The truth that we need to see here is the voice of the enemy will lead you to try to satisfy your needs on your own. It's the trick, it's the lie of isolation. It's this idea of isolation that you don't need anyone else. Hey, no one else is going through this. Hey, you know what? You deserve this. You work hard. 
No one sees what you put in. No one sees what you do. You deserve to do this for you. You need to satisfy that need on your own. The enemy comes and says, hey, you, you, you can't be the son of God and be hungry. Turn those stones into bread. Feed yourself. And Jesus, Jesus doesn't try to argue with the enemy. He doesn't try to debate whether or not bread is, is bad. We all know, especially for us poor folk that have to eat gluten-free, it's just a mixture of cardboard and butter anyway. It's, it's bad. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not going to argue with you. Let me show you how you deal with it. We're going to replace the lie with God's truth. But he, he shows us something that's so important. He understands that a lie believed as a truth becomes a part of your identity and it feels impossible to break. When a lie is believed as a truth, not only are you confused, but it becomes a part of your identity. It shapes you in a deeper way. Fill your thoughts with my words to shape your soul. When a lie is filling your thoughts, it is shaping your soul. It becomes a mindset that you keep falling into, a habit, an addiction that, you, that just won't go away, a feeling that follows you into every season, even the good ones. It's this cloud that hangs over you. You see, the lie, this is on the scientific side, the lie creates a pathway in your mind that is clear for the lie to become the most efficient way to think. Don't miss this. Some of you, your breakthrough is on the other side of understanding that the lie has created a pathway in your mind that makes it easier for you to believe the lie than it is to believe the truth. There's a neural pathway that has been created because you believe the lie over and over and over and over again. And it's dug this trail through your mind that says, when I feel this, immediately I'm going to the lie. And you have to replace the lie with the truth. Understanding that you cannot satisfy your needs on your own. Jesus says, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not giving place in my mind for that foolishness. God is the answer. You see, this is, this is how the enemy, the enemy is, is hijacking and corrupting the beauty of how you were created. God created our minds so that we could hold on to his truth, so that we could dig neural pathways with the truth of his word, but instead the enemy hijacks it and feeds us lies that sound just enough like truth that we believe them and they become what we rely on. They become the voice. They become the influence. They become the driving force of our lives. And we don't know why we keep turning to them. And all the while, the enemy is creating these safe places in your mind that disrupt your connection with your creator. It's brilliant on his part, but when you can take back the authority and recognize, I see what you're doing, you get to shift it. It continues on chapter, in, in verse 5. Then the accuser transported Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem, perched him at the highest point of the temple, and said to him, If you're really God's son, jump, and the angels will catch you. For it is written in scripture. This is the devil using scripture. 
He will command his angels to protect you, and they will lift you up so you won't even bruise your foot on a rock. Once again, Jesus said to him, The scriptures say you must never put the Lord your God to a test. The truth that we see out of this is is the voice of the enemy will lead you to prioritize recognition over release. Recognition over release. It's the lie of validation. It's the lie of validation. No one sees how valuable you are. No one recognizes how hard you work. No one sees what you do, how much you've done. You need to do this on your own, and you need to do even more so that you can prove your worth, and then they will give you validation. You're just not doing enough. You just aren't enough. Just do more. Just draw more. Just give more. Just love more. Just send more. Just do more of these things, and then finally, someone will give you the validation that you need. And it's a lie from the enemy. I want you to notice, he wasn't on some random mountain out in the wilderness. He brought Jesus to Jerusalem. He brought him to the top of the temple where everyone was. And he says, jump! So the angels can save you. And then all of these people will recognize, will validate that you are the son of God. He tried to short-circuit Jesus' process for the revealing that he was the son of God. He says, you don't have to go through all this stuff. Just jump off the top of this thing. The angels will show up and everyone will go, oh, look, he is the son of God. Jesus says, I'm not playing these games with you. Later on in the, in the Gospels, Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 14 when they came to him and they asked, hey, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Family, you and I have to release the need to be validated by those around us and understand and humble ourselves to a place of childlike faith, but not just childlike faith, because we talk about childlike faith a lot, but also release ourselves to a place where we have childlike dependence. It isn't just having childlike faith that we could believe anything could happen. It's a childlike dependence that I am going to rely depend on my Father in heaven. It's a shift in our mindset. It finishes up in verse 8. The third time the accuser lifted Jesus up onto a very high mountain range and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all the splendor that goes with it. All of these kingdoms I will give to you, the accuser said, if only you will kneel down before me and worship me. But Jesus said, go Away, Satan, for the scripture says, kneel before the Lord your God and worship only him. And at once the accuser left him and the angels suddenly gathered around Jesus to minister to his needs. The final thing that I want you to see about the voice of the enemy is the voice of the enemy will lead you to overemphasize control over surrender. To overemphasize control over surrender. It's the trick 
power. It's the trick of, hey, your life is out of control. You need to grab the wheel. Hey, yeah, I, I know that you trust in God, but apparently he's got too much going on and he needs a little bit of your help. Why don't you take control of this situation? Why don't you be the leader of your life in this situation? Why don't you be the leader? Why don't you be the God? Why don't you be the king? Why don't you be the queen? Why don't you rule this and direct this and, and give people what they need? You take control. God will understand. At some point in our story, family, we have to turn to the enemy of our souls and put him in his place. Like Jesus did, at some point we have to make it clear that Jesus paid the price. That he has, he has promised me a sound mind. He has promised me a life where fear no longer has to win. He has promised me a life where anxiety and hopelessness and loneliness and addiction and depression bows before the one who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the name above all other names who has all authority in heaven and earth. And it comes a time where we silence the lies of the enemy and say, bro, it's enough. It's enough. Be gone. Jesus has paid the price. You see what happens when God's truth wins out. When God's truth becomes the driving force in your life. When God's truth wins out, you'll see that the enemy is trying to give you something that Jesus already paid the price to give you. He's trying to give you something you already have. The promise preceded the pressure. The promise is there. He's trying to give you something that Jesus, why, why are you believing him? Listen, the enemy can't give you satisfaction because Jesus has already promised that when our desires line up with his heart, he will give us more than we could ever ask or imagine. He will be exceedingly more than we could ever see. The enemy can't give you validation because Jesus proved your worth to him before the first breath of air hit your lungs. He provided a way out before you even knew you needed one. You don't need his validation from the enemy. The enemy can't give you power because Jesus carries a name that's above every other name. And he says, you are mine. You are my child. You are heirs to the throne. You are loved. You are cherished. You are seen. You are chosen. Family. There comes a point in time where we have to say, enemy, it's enough. It's enough. Your tricks your half-truths, you're trying to provide me with something that God has already given me. It's time to take back control of your thoughts, your influences, and allow the voice of God to be the driving factor of your thoughts. To remind yourself that the promise always precedes the pressure. When the pressures of your life, when the pressures of your situation, when the pressures of your insecurity, when the pressures of your fears, of your anxieties, of your addictions, of your depression, when the pressures come, you remind the enemy of your soul. God promised me a long time ago that there's always a way out, that he's already provided everything that I need, and I'm going to trust his word over yours. And when we do that, we begin to create new pathways. And we daily 
remind ourselves of the promises that preceded the pressure. We daily remind ourselves of the words of God's love and his affirmation and his affection and his adoption of us. We remind ourselves of those things. And you know what starts to happen in your mind? The pathway in your thoughts gets larger and larger and larger for the word of God to be the thing that you gravitate towards in a time of pressure. You're rewiring, you're transforming your mind so that God's word is the most significant voice above them all. Let's pray. Jesus, right now in this moment, I, I just, I feel you. I feel your Holy Spirit. And I pray right now for the person who's watching right now that says, Dandy, I so, I so desperately want that. I'm so tired of going back to the same old thing in the same old way and the same old lies. And, and I'm tired. Jesus, I pray right now in your mighty name, you would silence the lies of the enemy. That you would begin to close the pathways in their mind that have been dug out by the lies of the enemy for all these years that you would fill the gap and allow them to begin to have the courage and the strength and the fortitude of heart and mind and prayer and connection with you that they begin to dig a new path in their thoughts that connect them directly with your heart. Jesus, I pray that you move in their lives right now. That you would remove this idea that somehow their pressures of life are preventing your promises from taking effect. The promise has proceeded the pressure, the promise sits within us. So Jesus, unlock the promise within our lives. Give us the authority as we connect with you to break down those thought processes, to silence the voices, to quiet the influences, and depend and lean on you like we never have before. We pray all of this in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.